Genesis 49. I, uh, it took me a little while to grasp a hold of the concept of when the President of the United States gives the State of the Union Address. This has been done since George Washington's time. And it's very interesting to hear the President. Uh, and I always thought it was the state or where we're at and what's going on of the Union. That's what I kind of thought it was because when I was a child, we didn't have 55 channels. We only had three and a half uh, which was ABC, NBC, CBS, and the half was PBS because they would do some of the most boring stuff in the world. But anyway, uh, and if the president was on making a speech, your night was ruined because all three channels would carry it. And so the State of the Union never paid much attention, but what that really is is when the president does that, he points out some of the things that have gone on, especially if it's not his first year in office. And he will point forward to the things that he wants to do, the agenda of his administration, the future plans. And he does this to bring at least their agenda. Now, you can argue about presidents and policies, and that's all fine. I just want to talk about what it generally is, and that's what it is, to bring this perspective of his plans, his purpose, his thoughts for the future of the nation. And obviously that could change very drastically. I remember watching George Bush's speech in September, in January of 20, of 2002, and this was right after September. Uh, 11th, and of course, everything had taken on an entirely different spin because of that. In the text we're going to read, Joseph is blessing his sons. I'm sorry, Jacob, rather, is blessing his sons. And we're going to look at the blessing on Joseph. Jacob, of course, if you don't know biblically, he's the one who, he was third from Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob is the one who God changed his name to Israel. He is now at the end of his life. This is now the conclusion as Genesis 12 through Genesis 50 has followed these three men and their uh, all that's gone on and marked out Joseph as kind of the next one. But it ends before Joseph is, uh, passes on. And as he's blessing his sons, he's doing exactly what the president does in a state of union. He's referring back. He's talking about present circumstances. And he's prophesying about the future. I want to consider the blessing on Joseph. Genesis 49, beginning in verse 22, and it says, Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. But his bough remained in strength. The arm of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel. 
and by the God of your father who helped father who helped you and by the and by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above blessings of the deep that lie beneath blessings of the breast and the end of the womb the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the uttermost bound of the everlasting hills they shall heap uh they shall be on the head of Joseph and on a crown of his head of him who is separated from his brothers i want to talk to you firstly that the big picture of what god's doing here joseph he's blessing and he has blessed him before he's prayed for his sons in chapter 48 and such but this is truly a prophetic uh, and it's it's a stirring study it's uh, i've looked at it doing it for a sunday school it's it's kind of more theological than it is uh, uh, revelatory for the use of christians in their life but the fascinating as he spoke to all 12 of his sons and marked them out for blessing put this upon them He's painting the big picture. And we have to see God's big picture. God is doing something. God is at work. God is at work in the world in general, but he's also at work specifically in your life. There are things that God is doing. There are plans and purposes. There are uh events that happen that are orchestrated by God God is doing something and the problem that we have is we can lose the macro for the micro we can get fixated on one event or one specific area of life and begin to miss out on the big picture of what God wants to do our text tells us that the archers had savagely attacked him this is verse 23 the new king james the new living translation says they shot at him and harassed him this is speaking specifically of his brothers this is speaking of others as well but very specifically of his brothers how he was attacked how people contended with him and there's a reality of life let me tell you this people aren't going to treat you right not everybody in life is going to treat you right that's a reality some are going to be hated you're going to stand for righteousness and people are going to question your motives You're going to stand for what God has said in his word and people are going to attack you because they don't want to attack God's word. Sold into slavery. Put into bondage. He's lied about by Potiphar's wife, put into prison. Had interprets the dream for the baker and the butler and is forgot about. And there's going to be times in life you're going to go through things and you're going to feel like it's bitter. They're going to shoot at you. They're going to take their pot shots at you. And and I'll tell you, 
You know, Pastor Paul Stevens one time said, the higher you seem to get up the ladder, the more your butt's exposed. People just, they don't lie. They get such and they begin to work. And here's the two things Joseph faced. He faced people in opposition and he faced negative circumstances. And these are a reality of life. That life has people who are in opposition and negative circumstances. This gives the explanation of why some people then don't feel secure in their future when they face a negative or a setback. They don't feel secure when people are criticizing them. It's part of life. And to lose perspective of God's big picture. God had given Joseph a dream. God told Joseph, you're going to be a leader. I'm going to raise you up. But in the midst of all of these circumstances and opposition, it sometimes can make us question God's involvement in our life. Do you ever wonder, Joseph, when he's in slavery, questioning the dream? In prison for being falsely accused of a crime he didn't commit? See, in life we have to deal with negative circumstances. The issue, of course, and we're going to look at this in a moment, is to keep your heart right. Through a negative circumstance, through opposition, through people who are yip, 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 or whatever it might be. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses eight and nine, Paul says, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I love what the J.B. Phillips says of that. We get knocked down, but we are not knocked out. Paul is writing about the pressures, the betrayals, the different things he would go through. And he says, you know what? There's troubles on every side. Genesis 49 Jacob is actually going through each one of his boys and he's reviewing their lives. He's talking about their successes and their failures. Reuben starts out and he says, you, you know, you were strength and all this, but you've got a moral problem. He gets to uh, 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 the next two boys, Simeon and Levi. He says, your problems, you're bitter and angry, kill somebody. Gets to Judah, then blessing starts. Gets to Joseph and begins to speak blessing. And all that we see is Joseph here is a model for believers because he kept his relationship with God. Constantly you read. He's in Potiphar's house, for instance, as a slave. Genesis 39, verse 3. And Potiphar noticed and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. 
giving him success in everything he did. This is said again of him in prison. The Lord was with Joseph in prison. We talked about praise in our Sunday school. How it's a duty of Christian. You will become like the gods you worship, but it also is a mark of those who have a relationship with God. That the reality of God being with him was tangible on his life. See, when we expect that if I serve God, it will always be good, then you are going to be disappointed. If I just give my life to Jesus, it will always be good. And we'll then question God. Because Joseph's life shows the reality of a relationship with God, even when things don't go well. Even when things don't go to plan. I do love the quote that said, you know, life happens while you're making other plans. I've met people, they dream on, they've got plans and plans. I think I shared with you a man that we met who got saved, a Lithuanian man in Lithuania. He had married a Slovakian girl who he had gotten pregnant in college. And they got married, he wasn't, but he wasn't a doer, he was just a dreamer. He had all these logos for businesses. He would draw up these logos. I'm like, that's, that's a neat logo, what's it for? I don't know yet. Like, you're just a dreamer. You've just got all these plans on how to get rich, but you are not willing to work at it, and that's kind of a problem. But anyway, life happens, and Joseph had gone through many problems, many troubles. And you're going to face the two issues of life, circumstances, which literally is defined as a set of conditions or situations. And we think, how am I going to do what God wanted me to do if I'm struggling now? If there's problems now, how am I going to get to be the leader God called me to be? This is Joseph. How am I going to be that person if there's issues today? If I'm in prison, if I'm in jail, if I'm going through, how am I going to be fruitful if no one gets saved? How am I going to give if I'm struggling? How, you know, and this is biblical. You read the, by the, the disciples in the storm. Lord, do you not care that we're going to die? He's like, quiet boys. I was sleeping. Rebukes the storm and goes back to bed. How about we fished all night? How about Martha? Do you believe your brother can live? But Lord, by now he stinks. Dead four days. See, sometimes we go through bad situations and sometimes they even get worse. He goes from slavery to jail. If there was a chance of hope, escape, would have been a slavery. In jail... Not much. 
financial reverses, sickness, loss. Then there's people. People will contend with your destiny. They'll contend with the word of God. The archers have shot at him savagely or bitterly. I love the far side. Now, I have to explain what that is to some people here. It's a one-picture comic. And Gary Larson drew these, and it's the kind of book, I, I found one of my books recently, and I looked through it, and although I remember them, they're still funny. That's the mark of a very good comedian. And one of them are two deers. They're standing in the forest, And one's got a bullseye on his chest. And his friend looks at him and says, bummer of a birthmark, Bill. I felt like that's a birthmark. You ever felt that way? I got to preach now. This is speaking of his brothers. It's biblical. 2 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You must also be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Here's the Apostle Paul. Alexander the coppersmith was the one who went in. He was willing to go into the, basically the riot in Ephesus. One time served God, but now had turned against Paul. And if we don't process these kinds of things correctly, we can lose out. David almost did. Nabal Ticks him off. Who's David? That's fine. By morning, every male in his house, dead. Strap on your swords, boys. We're going to war. And Abigail stops him. This is why people get angry at God. They'll blame God. Martha, if you had only been here, Lord, this wouldn't have happened. If God was truly interested, this would not have happened. She literally says in John eleven twenty one, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Let's talk about the God factor. In our text, in our prophecy... It's very interesting, Jacob, as he's praying for Joseph, as he's speaking blessing upon Joseph, he's going to die. Jacob is preparing now to die. And he's praying for his boy, speaking blessing. And he makes some statements about God. There's five different terminologies that he uses here about God, and it's very interesting that they 
apply to every area of life. Every circumstance, every factor, you can put one of these in. So let's just read our text again. Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have grieved, uh, bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remains in strength and his arms and of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. For there is a shepherd, the stone of Israel, and by the God of your fathers who will help you by and by the almighty who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lie beneath, blessings of the breast and of the womb. Blessing, uh, the blessings of your fathers have excelled the blessings of my ancestors upon the uttermost bound to the everlasting hills. They shall be upon the head of Joseph and on the crown of him who has separated him from his brothers. Five different terminologies. He talks about the mighty God of Jacob. Verse 24. This is the first one he mentions. This is very encouraging. Jacob's name literally means scoundrel or surplanter. It has to do with one who manipulates things. And, and, we're, and Jacob is a fascinating character because he seems to be driven by self-destruction. And yet he always seems to end up in the will of God. God works with and through people with problems. God works with and through people with problems. That's the God of Jacob. God, you know, Jacob runs and he goes away and ends up, you know, uh, making, you know, stealing his brother's birthright, kind of deceiving his father for the blessing, and then has to run for his life, and runs and finds his wives. God blesses him. He goes back. His father-in-law goes to kill him, but then changes his mind because God visits him in a dream. And every time it seems like Jacob's life is going the wrong way, he ends up in the will of God. Sends away his family. God wrestles with an angel. God changes his name to Israel. God works and helps flawed people. If you have to be perfect for God's help, I don't know who then can help you. Because God can't. God works with unfinished people. Then he's mentioned as the shepherd. This is a Old Testament term. It's interesting that many of the Old Testament people that God called did their time as shepherding. It's just a little fascinating thing that Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac and Jacob were shepherds. Moses went from a military man to a shepherd. David was a shepherd. There's just something about that terminology that would ring throughout the Bible. And God as a 
shepherd. Psalms 23, probably very familiar with some, a Psalm of David. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, brings honor to my name. Whenever I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. You are close behind me. Your rod and your staff comfort and protect me. A great picture of shepherds, the guider. When we were living in Ireland, there were lots of sheep. There just are. Lots of sheep and lots of cows. The best lamb and the best dairy products, maybe in the world. Kerry uh, butter is known around the world. Right? There aren't too many butters that go worldwide. Happy cows. It's a happy place to live. Happy cows. Happy sheep. But to see the shepherds, and they literally do guide them. The first time I brought my wife to Ireland as we were looking back in 1995, looking at Dublin and such, we were on the train down from Belfast. I was preaching for Alan Taylor at the time, and we were taking the train down, and the train had to stop while a shepherd guided his sheep across the tracks. Now, to most of the Irish, this was a major hassle, like they couldn't believe this delay. To us as American tourists, we were fascinated by it. We are taking pictures and video and, and uh, just amazed by that, under, that a shepherd could lead. They'll protect. They'll know what, you know, sheep are not the brightest animals. They'll eat noxious weeds. They'll wander off and be left alone. They'll leave the herd and be attacked. They have no natural defenses. They will get in themselves trapped and in danger. If they fall down, many times they don't even know how to get back up. And he says, I will guide you. I will be that shepherd to you. I'll help you through. Psalms 32 and verse 8. And the Lord says, I will guide you along the best paths for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Terminologies of instruct, watch, teach. Parents know if you take your eyes off your children for just a second. Just a second. The mischief they can get into. My mother tells a story, she told it recently of, she was, she just had to use the restroom, go to the bathroom. She's in the bathroom, and all of a sudden the lights go, and then she hears me scream. I was about two years old, and I had gotten one of her barrettes, and I had stuck it in an outlet. She had caps on all of them except the one behind the couch, and I pulled the couch out. And it all happened in about, 30 seconds. Kids are mischievous. We are the children of God. He will guide us. The picture of the shepherd. There's the stone of Israel. Verse 24. 
This is talking about stability. It's talking about protection. Stones are unmovable. They're reference points. They're... You can trust them. You can lean on them. You can build this building originally had, and I thank God it doesn't, plans for a basement. The reason I thank God it doesn't is that would just be uh, 12,000 square foot of an accumulation of junk. But they couldn't do it because of the bedrock. This building is not going anywhere because it's built on a rock. Jesus tells people, if you'll listen to my words and do them, you'll be building your house on this rock. Psalm 61, verses 1 through 3. Go, God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety. For you are my safe refuge, a fortress when my enemies where my enemies cannot reach. Isaiah 44 and verse 8, Do not be afraid. Do not tremble. I did, uh, did I not proclaim my purposes to you long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any other God? No. There is no other rock. Not one. Throughout the Bible, this imagery of God being his tower, a refuge, Let me tell you, in the storms of life, in the problems of life, you've got to learn to come to God. You've got to learn to bring it to God and let Jesus help you. The next terminology he uses is the God of your fathers who will help you. This is the God of covenant. The promise-keeping God. This goes back to Abraham and the covenant that he had made. I will bless you. I will make you a family. And although Abraham didn't see that all, he only had the one child who went on to have just two children. Now Jacob is experiencing the 12 children and now there's 70 of them and they're seeing this beginning to multiply. But Jacob is reaching back and he's saying, God has made a covenant with us. Jesus lifted up the cup of the wine and said, this is the blood, my blood, of the new covenant. We're in a covenant relationship with God. That bears responsibility. The only real understanding of covenant that we have in human relationships is a marriage. There are benefits and there are responsibilities. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is God indeed. And he is a faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generation and lavishes unfailing love upon those who love him and obey his commandments. This would fall in the Old Testament on family lines, the children of Israel. But it also falls upon us through spiritual lines. That's seen even in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 2.14. 
And Elijah, Elisha rather, struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out to the Lord, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And the rivers divided. You can rest in covenant, especially of your fathers. If God did it for someone else, he can do it for you. He wants to help us. And then there's the almighty. This is power. It's not the sometimes he's strong enough for some of the situations, God. He's almighty. Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is and who always was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Jesus describing Himself, beginning and end, was, is, and will be. I'm the Almighty God. You can rest in God's power. And in every stage of Jacob's life, Jacob needed one of these. I'm sorry, in every stage of Joseph's life, Joseph needed one of these. And as Jacob is prophesying, he's bringing out, God wants to help you. He's the shepherd. He's, he's the rock. He's, he's the God who helps your fathers. He's the almighty. He's the shepherd. Just want to talk to you lastly about Joseph's responsibility becomes ours. You have to keep your heart right. In the midst of all of the issues, our job is to keep our hearts right. There's Joseph could not manipulate, twist, get the circumstances to be favorable for him. He had to just trust God. God was going to do it. But the one thing he could do is keep his heart right. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Three things that Joseph had to do to keep his heart right. One is he had to trust. You have to trust God. When you try to manipulate things in your life, they often go from bad to worse. But if you'll trust God, God's able to work it out. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, For we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble that we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our abilities to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. You have to learn how to trust God. In the midst of all the problems and chaos and issues of life, you have to learn to trust God. You have to learn to forgive. Joseph forgave his brothers. They came to him after dad died. And they said, are you going to kill us now? And he made the statement, Genesis 50, don't be afraid. Am I, am I God that can punish you? You indeed intended to harm me, but God indeed intended it for good and brought 
me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. You know, it's God's job to judge, not yours. And I've watched it play out. I've seen God take care of things. He does. He will judge. Your job is to do right. Your job is to forgive. God will take vengeance. Bitterness taints people's hearts. Bitterness is just you refusing to let things go. And as a result, it creates great damage with all relationships, including your relationship with God. And the third is purity. When Joseph had the opportunity, many believe that Potiphar's wife, who tried to seduce him, would have been a beautiful woman. She would have been making advances on a lonely young man who was probably very vulnerable at that moment. And Joseph made the commitment to run out of the house and stay pure. Job chapter 31, verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. A commitment to control, because the only thing you can keep is your heart. It's the only thing you can keep. And trust God to work out the rest. Which one of the five, the shepherd, the stone, the mighty God, which do you need in your life right now? Verse 25, may the God of your fathers who helped you The Almighty bless you with blessings of the heaven above and the blessings of the watery depths below, the blessings of the breasts and of the womb. Fruitfulness, financial, spiritual unseen. He starts this blessing by saying, your vines have overgrown the walls of Far reaching into blind areas. You can't see beyond the walls. It says you're reaching into there. Because it's about how you live. I want to conclude, close with this. Bear with me. Linda Ellis wrote a poem. And it's called The Dash. I want to read it for you. Consider this. I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. And he said what matters most of all was the dash between the years. For the dash represents all the time that they spent life on earth. And now only those who loved them know what that little line is worth. 
For it matters not how much we own the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spent our dash. So think about it long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could just slow down enough to consider what is true and real and always try to understand the way other people feel, be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. We treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile and remember that the special dash only lasts a little while. So when your eulogy is being read of life's, of your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say on how you spent your dash? Let's bow our heads. Close your eyes for just a moment. Joseph's blessing came out of his relationship with God. Before I was a Christian, I had no relationship with God. Many people in here could say the same thing. I'd gone to church, was religious, but didn't know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Until one day I bowed my knee and accepted him into my heart. And maybe you're here tonight, this morning, and you're not right with God. You're going to be on your own. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be trapped in what the Bible calls sin. Sin will frustrate you, bind you, and destroy you. And if you're here tonight, this morning, you're not right with God, we want to pray with you. You're not saved or you're backslidden. I wonder if you very quickly slip up your hand. Pray for me. Anyone at all, very quickly. We're going to move on in just a moment. You're backslidden. You need to come back to Jesus. Changing the call then to Christians. The overview of a life. This is what we're reading here. The prophecies, the past, the present circumstances. And you're going to go through difficult situations and circumstances. You're going to go through difficult people. That's part of life. But what the promise is, you can still be fruitful and blessed. One of these five names of God is what you need. The shepherd, the God of covenant, the stone, the almighty, the mighty God. Whatever your situation is, God is able to help you through it. God will do it. Your job is to keep your heart right. That's what Joseph did. Trust God. Stay pure. And forgive. Let's stand. These altars are open. Allow people to find a place to pray. Awesome is the sight. Awesome is the sight of your holy Majestic is your purity, your right.